And like to me, that is the definition of finding your family. That is that you care, you, you're investing as much into the relationship as, as I am. Welcome to another episode of The Caption Life, a podcast about comics and pop culture on life and society. From deep in the heart of Texas, my name is Kevin, and I am joined by my good friends. I'm James from Kentucky. And I'm Sean from Indiana. So this is uh, episode nine of our podcast. We've been doing it for a couple of months, and a couple of things that we've, we've touched on in previous episodes, we've decided, hey man, we, we really want to circle back and, and talk about that. One of those things uh, we mentioned in our very first episode when we discussed uh, the Avengers Endgame movie, and that was how these superheroes came together and they found people who were similar to them in that these were other people that understood what being a hero was and understood that responsibility. And it got me thinking about uh, that that being a very common trope, finding uh, the need for finding people that fit your need for family and friendship, um, the desire to find a place to belong or to fit in is a fairly common trope in comics, uh, especially those in teams. And we all love uh, superhero team comics. Um, and it was featured in another comic book adaptation uh, that I recently watched with my family, and that was Shazam, which if you haven't seen Shazam, I highly recommend it. I don't want to spoil too much of it, but but family uh, and adopted family plays a, a very prominent role. Uh, but this all got me thinking about uh, how, how fairly common it is, and I wanted to jump in and start talking with you guys uh, about your favorite examples. So we can kind of freestyle about this, or we can we can jump into any number of things. What are you guys' thoughts on the subject? Uh, have you all read uh, House of X and Powers of Ten yet? The new uh, Jonathan Hickman X-Men? Not yet. No, um, I haven't either. Yeah, I, I was going to read it once it comes back on uh, paperback. Okay, okay. I won't spoil too much of it, but it definitely takes this idea of family that... Uh, Professor X and uh, Magneto's always kind of had about wanting to bring mutants together as a family, but uh, it really magnifies that where it goes from wanting to create a family and take that family and create a country out of it. And it's truly just a phenomenal way to do it. It kind of takes that trope and kind of magnifies it and takes it to the next level. Yeah, so I guess the X-Men, exposure to the X-Men was probably my earliest foray into comics, and, and not necessarily comics, but uh, the X-Men animated television series from the early 90s. And if you look this particular trope up on the internet, which you can, and there's some, some great sources that kind of chronicle this, but in film and television, especially the X-Men have a lot of, uh, there, there's a lot of documented examples of this. And it, it kind of is, um, you know, they weren't the first superhero family. I think that designation belongs to, uh, the Fantastic Four, but the X-Men, yeah. the X-Men are definitely a, a group of people that with similar interests, with similar identity that found a place to belong within a different group. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, 
I agree with you, Kevin. Um, same here. X-Men was one of the first comic book series that got me into reading comics. And my uncle is actually the one that introduced me to it. And and um, that's one of my fondest memories of childhood is diving into the X-Men comics, especially the uh, first generation of um, X-Men with the original class. And it's a recurring theme in those comics and even later on that a common reason why they all became X-Men and came to the Xavier Institute was because they, you know, in some form or fashion was either abandoned or neglected from their family, either because their parents were scared and it's not like they didn't want to be, you know, that child's parent or anything like that, or that mutant's parent. They just either were scared for themselves because something happened to them and they were fearful of their lives, maybe because they were, you know, anti-mutant and they couldn't believe that their child was mutant. Like, you know, they had a control over that or something like that. Like they chose to be mutant one day and, and, and there's just like, how dare you? Right. And so it's one of those things where they have that common experience of being rejected in some level. And again, it may have been because they're, parents were very neglectful it may have been that their parents was just fearful and so it's you know one way or another that's why they came to xavier institute so they had that shared experience and that's what brought them together and they were able to choose their family in that sense where their bond and being mutants and their experiences and being able to go through the struggle together allowed them to grow as a person and as people too right so you, I'm glad that you mentioned it because it was some, wasn't something that I had thought about when I was preparing notes for the show, but you had talked about all the different reasons that they come to the Xavier Institute. And I feel like that's, that's a microcosm of what life is really like mm-hmm. because, uh, and James can speak on this too because he's at a school every day, but isn't that the first place where we find, like we find our second family is like with the, with the kids that share an interest with us at school? Yeah, that's uh, that's a big one there. That's really that first place when you get to kind of choose your own family. And um, that's one of those things that I think all kids kind of take a great joy in doing once they kind of find their true friends and that kind of place where they kind of belong. And... Uh, they can kind of form their family around that. And it's just really, truly a neat thing to watch and a neat thing to experience in doing that. I remember being in the fifth grade, uh, not long after the X-Men cartoons came out and, uh, bonding with other kids over comics and the X-Men. But like one of the things that sticks out in my mind, and I still have a huge collection of them is, um, like the Wolverine trading cards. It was like a whole mm-hmm. set of trading cards that told like Wolverine's history. And I mean, that mm-hmm. was like 1992 and, and, um, it was kind of at the height of X-Men popularity. They had just, they had just launched the, the second book and it was the most popular, uh, book out there. But like, I remember like the way that I learned about, um, Wolverine's character and his story was trading these cards with other kids on the playground of, of my school. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was, I mean, I, I still remember, like, I don't have those cards specifically, but like now that, now that I'm thinking about it, I like, I want to get on eBay and look them up so that I can, I can find them. <laughs> but then also yeah. it just goes to show that, uh, like, okay, so that was 1992. That was, man, I'm old. That is, was, was that 27, 27 years ago? Yeah. Yeah. 
I was in the I was ten years old in the fifth grade. This was twenty seven years ago, and and Wolverine at the time only had about twenty years of print history to his name. So you could mm-hmm. you could do a completely different set of cards based off of like the you know the the stories that have come since then. Right. Yeah. He particularly is an is an interesting character to talk about found family because he's the quintessential loner character that mm-hmm. um you know he always you know it's it's a that's a trope for Wolverine right that he always just wants to be left alone. Right. But uh what what always ends up happening to him um as a member as a member of the X-Men he always ends up becoming someone's mentor. Right. It's one of those things where when you see his um when you look at his character you can see why he wants to be left alone is because his when he like discovers like his past and things like that and just the things he's done like he's just guilt-ridden of the things that he's done that he hadn't remembered or mm-hmm. just um just feeling you know that aggressiveness of how he can be a murderous person and so i think he uh, in a sense he pushes people away in order to protect them in a sense right. but you always see there's these stories where he definitely wants to have that connection with other people um he's always hesitant or what's the word i'm looking for um reluctant yes thank you that's exactly what i was looking for yeah teacher wins. he's always yeah yeah <laughs> Um, but yeah, he's always reluctant to be a mentor or to reach out and connect with other people because of that. But he kind of has to work through, um, you know, some of those issues within himself. And that's, an, you know, another thing that's really interesting about his character is that, um, you know, clearly that's his first response, but it doesn't always end like that because he's always, you know, ends up being some sort of mentor or, um, you know, connects either, you know, in a friendship way or, um, you know, romantically and things like that. That was the other thing that came to my mind. Like if he cares about you, he's going to push you away because he wants to protect you. But if he falls in love with you, you're probably going to (laughs) die. That's about the way it goes. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Just beware. Yeah. It, um, but just the way you said that, Kevin, <laughs> except for the part about if, if he loves you, you'll die. <laughs> yeah. Um, but the part about like, if, um, if he loves you, then, you know, he'll push you away at first. That's what happens a lot of times in life with people who either, you know, get abandoned or people that have trust issues or things like that. They always put up walls at first and, you know, want somebody to break those walls down and try to connect with them or, you know, for whatever reason, they'll, you know, want to push you away either for your safety or for their own safety but you know it's just a really good character to think about how um, again talking about family of choice how we can decide who we're going to have as part of our family because of the meaning that they have for us and the connection that you can have with them as well too and that you know family has multiple meanings so we talk about you know our uh, nuclear family with the x-men that we're just been talking about now like how in schools or high schools or junior high like a family outside your family things like that and and the comics really reflect that really well because i think just having this conversation right now we see how this is a reflection of things that we see in our society and just you know taking a different medium to express those things inside the world of these characters yeah i think coming from myself coming from a, a big family I always, I always know that my family is going to be there for me, but at the same time, I don't have similar interests with, with many of them. And 
So like a lot of the, you know, invested, well, I'll say, I'll say it like this through conversations about things that I'm interested in, I become invested in other people. And so I have found mm-hmm. family at work. I have found family here online because I feel like, after, you know, just about six months of us really doing this. So you guys are like brothers to me. Uh, but you're also, you're also the best, uh, avenue of conversation that I have for this particular topic. Right. Because if I were to start talking about this stuff with somebody in my actual family, they would be like, dude, what, what, what are you you even talking about? I think I saw that movie, but (laughs) yeah, you you just look at it. I think that we look at things through a different lens and it's always, it's always helpful to find people with a similar lens to you. Mm Mm-hmm. But speaking on Wolverine, one of the things that I found about uh, about him as I was like researching this topic that did you know that Wolverine, despite the fact that he wants to be a loner, is a character in Marvel Comics that's been a part of more teams than anybody else? Yes. <laughs> I think I've read that somewhere a while back. Yeah. Yeah. So he's that's actually a do one to me. I didn't realize that uh, he'd been that he's got that distinction. Yeah. So. I mean, every version of the X-Men, X-Force, X-Factor, uh, the Avengers, the Dark Avengers, the Avengers West Coast, I'm not sure. He's been in a lot of teams more so than anybody else. And it just kinds of, it kind of to me stands in, it stands in, uh, juxtaposition to his inner self, right? Like that he, mm-hmm. he doesn't really feel like he belongs anywhere, but he's always, he's always searching for, or maybe that it, Family finds him much as the same way that it did in, you know, in the film Logan, mm-hmm. which is really, really kind of gets to the heart of who he is as a person. Mm-hmm. So one of the one of the other topics that that I wanted to bring up and we can transition this straight from Wolverine because we just talked about Logan and, and that film was um, that film focused primarily on him, I guess, learning that he was a father, not through any of his like own actions, but because he had a clone and, and finding uh, his place and his legacy, I guess, and accepting his, his fate and being comfortable with dying. But, um, there's a, there's a lot of examples of superheroes specifically who are either abandoned or they're, uh, orphaned at a young age. So they're always in search of, uh, search of a father. And then ultimately their storyline transitions to, uh, them becoming one. And I think two of the, uh, two of the, the, or the biggest example of that is Batman. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Over the course of years, he's um, he's been a surrogate father himself to uh, the different Robins that have served alongside of him. But then here now in uh, the most recent uh, continuity in the last 10 years, he also has uh, an actual son uh, in Damien. Mm-hmm. And so there's there's a longstanding history of him, not only his motivation for becoming a superhero, losing a parent, but also finding a way in the world to become one himself. I think it's 90% of the characters in comics have some sort of parent that died or abandoned them, Mm -hmm. right? It's almost like the the Disney effect, like how there's always a parent or both parents missing. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, if you think about Batman almost as being like Wolverine in a way, you know, he always wants to be left alone. He always wants to do things his way. But he keeps kind of attracting people to his family. Some of them uh, are there because he wants them to be. And then there's always one or two that uh, he doesn't exactly want them there, but they're there anyway. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's just very odd when you kind of think of Batman as being like, you know, that kind of loner top when, you know, he really isn't. You know, he's got probably the biggest family in comics. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe that's a deeper metaphor that we all should see because I, I think that I think what I think is happening is that in the chaos of what's going on around him and these characters that you have somebody like Dick Grayson who uh, himself has suffered this this great tragedy and he finds himself uh, under the care of Bruce Wayne every successive Robin after that they, they all have this this uh, this thing in common and is that with all the chaos in the world going around them they recognize the safest place to be is with with Batman. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the same thing that you can say about the people who are attracted to to Wolverine. Mm-hmm. Like with everything that's going on around us, the safest the safest place to be is standing right behind him. I think that that is uh, you, you look at teams and families in general in comics that that I think that that's kind of like the ultimate dynamic that um, that maybe maybe at the at the basic human level, the necessity, the need that we're seeking to fulfill is mm-hmm. as our own personal safety and we're we are you know there's safety in numbers right yeah because i mean that's what seems to draw these characters to these people in the comics is that there's a sense of safety and a sense of um, a consistency almost or certainty rather right like you know that batman or wolverine or whatever figure is going to be reliable and is going to be there like no matter how much they are the anti-hero or push people away people know that they can depend on them even though they do these things basically right mm-hmm. and so i think that's one of those other underlying themes that come through when we, when we talk about family of choice and it's interesting because you know we talk about how when the comics first came out the nuclear family and the idea of family was um you know very specific and homogeneic Yes. And now that when we look at our culture, it's very different now. It, it's very different. And you have all very different uh, characters and comics that are working together or being a family with one another. Um, even when you look at, you know, in the movies with Fantastic Four, the most recent one, not the original one that came out, but you know how they have Michael B. Jordan and um, uh, Kate. Kate Mara yeah. as brother and sister in there. I really like that because it's, again, more reflective and inclusive of the types of families that are out there. It's not, you know, homogeneic anymore. You know, we've we've had this conversation how I'm an adopted parent. And so my son was adopted. We're not his birth parents at all whatsoever. But that doesn't change our love and our role as parents to him because of that. And that's starting to become more common the more I talk to people. And then I know, Kevin, you said that you have a stepdad. Yeah, my my stepdad. And, and I don't call him stepdad. He's been my dad for right. yeah. uh, 20, shoot, 29 years now that uh, he, he was he was born in, in Mexico and came to the United States at a at a young age. So uh, not only did I grow up grow up in uh, like you know a, a non nuclear extended family, I also grew up uh, in one with slightly different culture, like uh, cultural norms, and uh, experienced things that uh, that I wouldn't have normally experienced had I just been in a in a you know married parents uh, you know white family. So yeah. There's, there's mm-hmm. definitely, there's definitely that. And that, and I think now too, like if you look at, if you look at our family photos, um, you can see, 
you can see that those that that like I guess homogeneic consistency it doesn't it doesn't exist anymore because we're because we are all we are all very very different we're all different shades of of pigmentation because because of I guess you know my parents getting together and and who who my siblings have have married and whatnot so it is it is mm-hmm. it's not what it was when let's say when you know Marvel was making it big in the early 1960s the tail end of the golden years of the of the 50s where uh every every mm-hmm. family was like you know leave it to beaver right exactly yeah well I, I know even in uh my wife's side of the family when you look at our family photo um you know it's me Sarah and Riley Riley's adopted um Sarah's brother uh and his wife adopted a boy and his birth parents are uh white and black and then Sarah's oldest brother married into a family where uh his wife at the time had two little girls of her own and one of her daughters um had a daughter and then Sarah's sister uh she and her husband has two children but they also had trouble like getting pregnant had miscarriages and stuff like that so when you look at our family photo like it's very different backgrounds like there's some you know a couple of kids that you can tell that you know their skin color doesn't match with ours and so that that sticks out but then there's when you learn about the background story it's just like everyone has their own different family experience that's not what we think about in the 1950s um like the leave it to beaver situation that you talked about but i think it's really interesting that comics even back in the 50s had that idea about you know this family of choice and that it's it wasn't a common thing like how it is now but right they brought that out and gave people who may have been perceived or perceived themselves as being different because they didn't fit into that traditional idea of family as a safe space to dive into this world to say, it's okay if you're different. I mean, that's been the whole theme of X-Men, right? Is that mutants, you know, takes on a lot of different um, identities throughout the comics in terms of, you know, they're a symbol for, you know, um, how racism is portrayed in our society today or just people who are different, things like that. And so, you know, just doing that very early on in the 50s, it's pretty impressive. Yeah, they were they were pushing boundaries um, back then uh, that that people, I guess, that they were still taboo then. People weren't people weren't talking about it. I mean, the X-Men themselves is an allegory for the civil rights, uh, civil rights movement. So, mm-hmm. um you know, one of the one of the, the things, one of the best examples today, I think, and they've gone through several iterations in comics, but just specifically in uh, the MCU is the Guardians of the Galaxy, mm-hmm. because they are they are the fam they are the first family of the MCU now. They all come from a background of abandonment and then found each other, mm-hmm. and they none of them none of them look physically like each other right um they don't you know one is a tree one is a raccoon one is a green guy covered in tattoos one is a green lady of a different species altogether and then one is a half earthling um but they all found they all found something about themselves in the in the other in the other members of that of that group like you know that they they had something to identify uh with and i think I think that that to me just just speaks volumes it doesn't you don't have to look like um you don't have to look like uh, somebody to be their family. I do tell my dad all the time though that I get my good looks from him <laughs> um and as a joke but 
uh, and then, oh, and then like when, when I grew out a beard and mustache, when I started getting gray hair and my facial hair, I'd be like, see, I told you that's <laughs> from your side of the family. Right. But, but, uh, it's not even a thought anymore for, for me. Right. Um, it's, it's become, it's, and it's not difficult either. It's, but it's become, uh, there's conversations that we have to have about why everybody looks different in our family to our four year old. Right. But mm-hmm. I also feel like that's a good safe that's a good safe way safe space and a way for her to grow up understanding the differences um across you know just her family the differences in her family I mean my two children are the only white children left in 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 our family mm-hmm. uh or in our family I would say left like that sounds bad but the only two right. white children in our family because my two half brothers are already uh half hispanic my um my sister married uh a hispanic man they have two children and my brother his wife uh her family is from mexico and venezuela and so like we all look a little bit different or those those children all look a little bit different but like i ate dinner we were celebrating my mom's uh birthday earlier today i ate lunch with uh some of my siblings and like you you can't you can't tell that those children don't don't love each other despite the fact that they don't look anything like each other right well, happy birthday to your mom. Yeah. Yeah, my mom, I won't tell you how old she is. No, nah, that's fine. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, we don't need to know that. No. <laughs> she probably wouldn't want us to know anyway. Let alone broadcast it on our podcast. <laughs> to, the, <laughs> yeah, exactly. to the thousands and thousands of people listening. <laughs> Actually, she, w- she wouldn't yeah. mind, um, but because I'm, I'm fairly certain that she hasn't listened to this yet either. <laughs> like I said... I'm the person in my family that this is interesting to, and it would be, you know, out of other people's comfort zone to even have an interest level long enough to listen to this for 20 to 35 minutes. <laughs> I have a list of people uh, as a, in the surrogate role and the mentor role, and this is going to bring up a touchy subject. I can feel it coming. But I wonder what it says about, like, all this grand history of uh, of finding your family that there are fewer examples of of motherhood in comics mm-hmm. as opposed to like finding the the male mentor i can think of uh, a few off the top of my head one would be aunt may mm-hmm. um to spider-man and then the other one is is uh i man just said it over my back he said martha <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so Ma Kent has been the other one. What do you think? Like, what? Why is? Do you think that that's from a like the perspective of the people writing it, or do you think like what do you think about that? You know, more of my experiences with Aunt May and Ma Kent has been from either the movies or the TV shows. You know, depending on what's what. But uh, my kind of earliest. Uh, kind of introduction to either two would have been Ma Kent in um Lois and Clark, the new adventures of Superman from the er- right. from the early nineties. Mm-hmm. I mean, she's the one that sewed together Superman suit. Mm-hmm. You know, this has to be on YouTube if you've not seen him like going through like outfit after outfit after outfit thing, but his mom's there trying to help him come up with that suit. And, you know, that's kind of like, I always thought in that show in particular, they did a really good job with kind of, you know, about it being Clark and about it being his family. 
and I think they just did a really good job in that show trying to get that across. And of course, you know, that's been another another 27 years, years there. Um, <laughs> but is that okay? So like, are, are either of you guys, are either of you guys mama's boys? Mm, I'm no. not, no. Par- partial to your mom? I think, I think there's just something about that in, in society. And maybe that is, that is the, the gender role of old. And maybe, maybe things need to be shaken up about it mm-hmm. because you kind of see this as, okay, mom, we, what we expect from our mom is to be able to sew the suit and, you know, love us unconditionally, drop pearls of, of wisdom every now and again. But then ultimately in comics, it's always portrayed as like the there's a there's a wise man mentor father figure that shows you the ways of the world and mm-hmm. that's not the that's not the case for a lot of people you talk mm-hmm. about the generation that we live in like single parent families are you know at an at an all time high mm-hmm. and there's just not examples I, just, I can't think of a, a strong example and if I can't somebody that's listening to this right now like leave us a message and correct us but it's it's just right. not a strong example of um a female like leader or a female mentor figure. Well, what, what about a uh, wonder woman's mom? Hippodola. Yeah. Did I pronounce it right? I don't know. But is she really even there? Right. You know, cause Diana, she always wanted to go to man's world. Mm-hmm. You know, she always wanted to kind of get away mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, mom didn't really want her to right. go. So. There's well, and and then maybe what I'm talking about is like the difference between comics of the Silver Age versus what we have now. Because mm-hmm. like what I said earlier about there not being a strong female role model, that's not true. Because there definitely are. Right. Like, these are characters. These are characters who have evolved into strong female role models themselves and did not necessarily have that from the like conception of their characters. Does right. that make sense? Yeah, I think you're you're fo- you're focusing on more of a female representation as the uh mentor parental mm-hmm. role. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, I, I agree. There're not as many female mentors that's portrayed in the comics as there are male. And I think you're right, Kevin. I think that's a good point. That's probably something that comics need to start addressing is how can we integrate female characters a little bit more as those mentors and i i think they've done that in some ways like captain marvel is a yeah mentor i was figure gonna say the same thing miss marvel and and others as well right but she never really portrays that like parental role necessarily as as much as more of a mentor and i think you know when we look at those parental figures that's taken on that role that's not there you know, birth parent, but is, you know, in their lives like that. So like Alfred for Bruce mm-hmm. Wayne and, and all that. Um, I think it is, that is lacking. And I mean, I don't know what the answer is for that, for them to start um, integrating that. But um, some of that has got to be generational. It is. Yeah. It's just that we're, we're talking about a different time period than when a lot of these creators, a lot of these characters right. were created. And and it's hard to rewrite those back histories right. too, right? It's like, you know, the second you switch things around where, you know, it's it's now the female instead of the male when it's been like this for so long. Like it's, look, yeah, look it's, at the look at the backlash that Captain Marvel the Captain Marvel in the movie right, being yeah. being a female and not male. Yeah, that that wasn't a popular yeah. opinion. But it is Here's the thing is that you've got comic books, um, like Captain Marvel is a great one where she is a, she's a leader in the Avengers. She's been, I mean, going back 10, 15 years to when, I mean, one of my favorites is the Mighty Avengers and, uh, she was the, she was the co-captain of that team with 
with Tony Stark. So her, and you know, she's a military leader. There's, there's a lot of leadership of, of, about her, but she's always portrayed as the, as the leader of a, of a unit, of a team and, and not necessarily, and, and maybe I need to read more about it, but, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a different dynamic. And then the other thing is too is, is I think we need to, like, I think it's great that you have like things like the A Force, which are like, is an all female team mm-hmm. and you have some great heroes that have been heroes for a while that mentor, uh, the younger ones, but it's, but it's all like female to male. And I, th- I think that there needs to be a situation where young men see the, see the value in mentorship by older women, uh, in a position of, mm-hmm. in a position of uh, authority. The only example I can think of is T'Challa and, and Black Panther, right? Okay. But, but that's, again, I didn't grow up reading Black Panther. That's just the movie. Mm-hmm role that I've seen, but I mean, his mother obviously has that, you know, strong role in, in his life and his sister and the fact that they have all female warrior uh, army protecting the kingdom and stuff like that. But again, it, they're very limited and there's just not enough of that out there to reflect what's going on in society today. That's not something that's a new phenomenon. Like this has been something that has mm-hmm. occurred a long time. It seems like this is one of the things that comics has been behind on is showing how female women mothers are the single parent where they're playing both of those roles for their daughters and their sons and that's not being reflected well enough in the comics right now i think to show that women can take on that role and be that influence for that person that they can yes sew the suits for the superhero but also give them that strong protective role and protect their kids and give them that you know wise age-old wisdom that about the world that they can take on and and uh, internalize and make that as part of their own character and things like that and we're just missing that in comics right now yeah i mean like in corporate america and even like for me like in education i know two specifically very strong female principles one is the principal of the high school that my junior high feeds in and then one is the high school of the intermediate that feeds into my junior high uh, that my son goes to, they have very, very strong female principles. And I think that as a society, we're catching up to the embracing the idea of women in a leadership capacity. But I think the other thing that we need to, we need to find and comics could do, go a long way to help us reflect that is putting a value on the traditional, like mother mentor role. Right. You know what I mean? Specifically, like, like a stay at home mom is as much an important part of our society as, as the lady who is the CEO of some fortune 500 company. Right. Yeah. I agree. James, you haven't said much yet. I feel like Kevin and I are dominating no. the conversation. I'm sorry. Well, no, 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 no. Cause this one is one that I'm kind of learning more about the two of you all too, with the way your families are, you know, me and my family, we've never really been particularly close i lost my dad back in 2015 and uh you know that was what it was but i've lived between three and six hours away from my family for the last 15 years now mm-hmm. and you know we see each other we get together at holidays and stuff but you know that really strong family dynamics just never really been there Mm-hmm. So I've had a chance to kind of learn from you two a lot tonight and to also kind of see how comics have kind of helped 
you all kind of, uh, it's almost like, you know, the two of you have kind of modeled your families after comics in a way. And that's, <laughs> and that's just really cool. I definitely think it does play a role in uh, your willingness or your openness to accept people for who they are. Mm-hmm. That's definitely a big theme uh, in, in our family. But uh, 15 years ago, no, it's not that long, but fairly close. My wife was going to one of her very first job interviews, and um, I drove her to the job interview, and then I kind of like sat in the car, and it was in a really rural part of uh, town where there weren't a lot of like radio stations to choose from, and I found a talk radio uh, show, and it was, uh, I don't know her last name, Dr. Laura. Are you guys familiar with Dr. Laura? Yeah. Uh, sounds um, familiar. Anyway, she, she was counseling somebody who called in about having to choose where they go for a holiday. And uh, her family was not very welcoming. It was always drama. And um, her husband's family was the exact opposite. She just felt like it was a, as a better dynamic. But her family always held it against her that when she said, you know, that we were going to go and, and stay with um, or we were going to go and visit the husband's family. And there's something that has stuck with me ever since then. And even when like, I was dealing with issues with my biological father, who I no longer have uh, any relationship whatsoever with, was that you have to invest time and and energy and love into the people who are going to do the same for you. You know, I, I come from also from a very Christian background and, you know, you're supposed to love everybody. And I, in my heart of hearts, hopefully uh, somewhere I truly do. But at the same time, like I, I want to spend time with people who are going to, who are going to fill me, like fill my cup as this, as the same way that I can help to, to fill theirs. Uh, otherwise you just, you empty yourself out into other people and you don't ever get anything back. Right. Exactly. Right. And that's kind of the way it is with mine. Like, I think I'm closer to my in-laws, my wife's family than what I am to mine. Mm-hmm. Uh, they come up here and see us, you know, a few times a year. We go back there and we see them. So I see them, you know, a lot more. And we spend a lot of time together that way. But, like, I went and saw my mom in August, about the time that school started. First time I'd seen her since, uh, I think, Christmas. Mm-hmm. We stayed for about two days and we left. I mean, that's just kind of the way it is. Like, I right. just don't. It's like, you know, we're family, like mm-hmm. by blood, but you know, right? You know, if things ever went south and I had to find a new place to live or anything like that, it definitely wouldn't be. Uh, that's not the direction I w- <laughs> I would turn to. Right. The couch is not available to you, James. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. You know, it's a and what's a shame too, though, is we live in the golden age of communication. So mm-hmm. it doesn't take much to get face to face with somebody uh, in 2019 and be able to have a conversation. I mean, I'm lucky. My parents literally live across the freeway from us and it's a five minute trip over there and we see them every day because they pick my daughter up from school. But and on the, on the flip side of that is I have a brother that lives in, in Brussels, Belgium, and um mm-hmm. Uh, I I try and we both live busy lives, but like I can see my brother an ocean and a continent away. And so, like I said, when people are willing to invest in, in you and that relationship, then you're willing to do the same thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know that the person besides my wife who asks me how I'm doing and literally means it 
more than anybody else is Sean. Oh, that's nice. <laughs> I'm serious. Like you know, <laughs> when you when you talk to people at work and they say how you doing today, that mm-hmm. is one rhetorical and two they're really hoping that you don't really start telling them how you really are because they're just trying to be polite. Mm-hmm. But like when we need to talk about something about the podcast or when there's something cool that we want to share, it's always, it's always, always either followed up or uh, it's uh, prefaced with, uh, with an actual, Hey, how are you doing? I'm checking in with you guys. And like to me, that is the definition of finding your family. That is that you care, you, you're investing as much into the relationship as, as I am. Mm-hmm. Well said. I got to say, I agree completely. I think it's amazing how we have not met in person at all, but I feel mm-hmm. like I'm sure you two feel this way as well, too. I feel like I'm just as close to you guys as I am with my in-person friends here in Indianapolis, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And, and it's just great that, you know, with the technology able to bring us together like that. And, and I, I just absolutely love this relationship that we have. I think it's great how... I can reach out to you guys and I feel like I know you guys on a personal level and we've never met in person. Like, that's just right. crazy, right? I think that's just, that's just great. Oh, shoot. You know, I, I gotta say, um, one thing for me, at least, is growing up, I loved Superman as a character, right? I never really read the Superman comics, but I loved him as a character. But when I became an adoptive father, Watching Man of Steel really just changed how important Superman became in my life. Because, you know, growing up, yeah, I knew that, you know, the Kents adopted him because he was from a different planet and stuff like that. But like as someone who lived that traditional nuclear family where all my, you know, brothers and sisters were from the same parents that we have, we were like the definition of the traditional nuclear family. So I never thought of, you know, what that life was like. But now becoming an adoptive parent because my wife and I couldn't have children of our own um, through traditional means and all that. Watching that movie and watching, you know, Kevin Costner play that role of the adoptive parent just takes on a new meaning of what Superman and Jonathan Kent means for me. And that I want to make sure I share that experience with my son. So if he ever feels like he's different because he's adopted, I want to point him to Superman and say, you know, you're not alone in this, you know, and look at this great person that was also adopted. And so it's, it's really interesting. Like the older you get, just how your different experiences takes on different meetings, um, with the common that you read as a kid or the characters that you grew up with so i didn't mean to sidetrack that too much but i i had that no mind. like <laughs> and i no, that's perfect i know that i've said this before the relationship that peter quill has with yondu in the guardians of the galaxy movies mm-hmm. and the the line that gets me every time that uh he might have been your father but he ain't your daddy mm-hmm. i think that we all have something like that that we find a piece of ourselves in mm-hmm. right yeah Hey, that wraps up another episode of The Caption Life. We really hope that you enjoyed this episode. We did. Uh, we enjoyed recording it. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on whatever platform you listen to and follow us on social media at Caption Life. That sounds great. Peace out. <laughs>